Hello everybody, this is our second sermon looking at the topic, what is our mission? And this week the topic is blessing. We are currently involved in an election season. In just 11 days time, Scotland goes to the polls to elect its new government. Consequently, we are being bombarded by leaflets through the door, posters on the streets and adverts on television, as various men and women compete to explain why they are the ideal candidate to solve the difficulties experienced in our local area. Often these adverts are good at recognising the issues the electorate want dealt with, be it housing, jobs, climate change or immigration. Unfortunately, though, they can be rather brief about how those problems will actually be solved and rather heavier on how the other parties will just make matters worse. The propaganda is rarely an inspiring read. Why is it that we elect politicians? Of course, they certainly benefit from it. They are thrust into a prominent position with power and status and a very healthy salary to match. They get invited to all sorts of exciting events and some of them even get a second home thrown in, paid for by the taxpayer. But none of us elect politicians just so they can be blessed, do we? We elect politicians for a wholly different reason. We elect them so they might be a blessing to their constituency. We elect them to represent us and fight our cause. Most importantly, we elect them to serve the most vulnerable in our community to do all they can to improve the lives of those who are suffering. In other words, at an election, we choose a few capable people, give them the best resources we have, and ask them to use their position for the benefit and blessing of everyone else. For all those who will be elected on the 6th of May, they will have to quickly come to terms with both the privilege and the responsibility of their new role. For if they don't, they'll soon be voted out again. I would like us to hold on to these thoughts as we go through this sermon, as they will help us understand something important about what God is currently up to in his world. We have just started a new series on Sunday evenings asking the question, what is our mission? By that we mean, what is our purpose as God's people? Why on earth are we here? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? We're asking this question now because as the lockdown starts to be released, we have a great opportunity to reset the priorities in our lives. We can start out in our post-lockdown world as we mean to go on, living wholeheartedly for the Lord. We thought last week how in the Bible God sent his people out to do lots of different tasks for him. We learned from that that we're all called to different things depending on our situation and the different talents that God has given us. However, all these tasks fit into one big overarching master plan. God has a plan and a purpose for his creation. He has a mission of his own. Our purpose as Christians is to fit in with what God is already doing. Last week we saw how God's mission is to heal and perfect his creation. Thereby part of our calling is to look after the world around us and to use our creative talents to bring glory to God. This week we're going to see how God's plan for creation 
involves him electing a group of people, blessing them, and then using them as a vehicle to pour out his blessing to the entire world. Part of our mission then as Christians, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, is to be a blessing to those around us. Our reading this evening, in the context of the whole Bible story, is one of the most important there is. It comes from right near the beginning of the Bible and is made up of two parts. The first part, the story of the Tower of Babel, came from Genesis 11. When reading Genesis, it's important to know that chapters 1 to 11 form an introduction to the book. Indeed, they are an introduction to the Bible as a whole. Unfortunately, though, they take the form of a catalogue of disaster. In Genesis 1, God made the world, and it was wonderful. God looked down at his handiwork and saw that it was very good. Then in Genesis 2, he put human beings into his creation to look after it. That was what we were thinking about last week. But in Genesis 3, everything goes wrong. Human beings rebel. You see, despite God giving us everything, we didn't feel we had enough. We wanted to be God ourselves. So we turned away from God and went in our own direction. Genesis 3 tells the story of the first sin entering the world, and sadly it is the sin of us all. Then from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, we read of how sin explodes into the world, wreaking havoc everywhere it goes. What started out with the eating of a forbidden fruit soon turned to infighting, jealousy, murder, sexual immorality, abuse of animals, drunkenness. The list goes on. By Genesis 11, human beings have become so arrogant, they try to build a tower up to the heavens so they can climb up it and effectively throw down God and take his place. From that first sin, things have got worse and worse and worse. Of course, as God watches on at what humans were up to, he realised he could not just sit back and do nothing, otherwise his whole creation would soon be trashed, and he loved it far too much to allow that to happen. So the first thing he did was to teach human beings the principle of justice. For every wrong action, there is a necessary consequence. Sadly, by the end of Genesis 11, the consequences have become very stark indeed. They can be summed up in three words. Damage, division and death. Because of human sin, the world was damaged. Thorns and thistles grew, childbirth became agony. Even the human psyche was thrown out of joint as human beings came to know shame. Because of human sin, the world became divided. Humans fought with humans. The blame game began. And as a result of the Tower of Babel scheme, humanity found themselves scattered right across the world, unable to converse with one another because their languages had been confused. And because of human sin, death had entered the world. Our sin separates us from the holy God of life. Death is the natural consequence. And boy, does that hurt. So whereas in Genesis 1, creation teems with life, by the end of chapter 11, it is ravaged by damage, division and death. None of this was God's original intention. It was caused by our sin and God's urgent need to bring it justice 
in order to protect the creation he loves. God allowed these curses to fall in the hope that our experiences of suffering would shake some sense into us and bring us back to him seeking his forgiveness. So at the end of Genesis chapter 11, everything is very bleak. But wonderfully for us, Genesis 11 is not the end of the Bible. It is only the end of the introduction. In Genesis 12, God launches his great rescue plan, and it involves one thing. Blessing. I mean, think about it. What is the opposite of a curse, many of which were spoken in those opening chapters? The opposite of a curse is a blessing. In Genesis chapter 12, God announces a blessing that will go on to be the solution to the groaning brokenness of his whole creation. So how does this work? Well, God called a man named Abraham and made a promise to him. It is worth us hearing these words again. The Lord said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I want us to relate those words to our opening illustration. In this moment, God makes an election. He chooses Abraham and makes some wonderful promises to him. He's going to be given a new land and have a large family. But Abraham has not just been chosen for his own benefit. He has been blessed that he can be a blessing to his wider constituency. Now, bearing in mind that God is the creator of the whole world and loves everything he has made, that constituency isn't just a tiny region with their own parochial concerns. God has called Abraham so he might bless the whole earth. He says all the nations, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right from the beginning, this was God's plan. He wanted to undo the damage done to his world and fully restore humanity into his image. So he launched a rescue mission, a mission of blessing to overcome the curse placed on our sin. That mission began with Abraham. But let me now take you on a whistle-stop tour of the rest of the Bible. Abraham's family grew and became the nation of Israel. Israel were God's people of blessing. They had a very important role to play in the world. Sometimes they got their role right. When they followed God's law, they did indeed help the poor and support the needy and teach others about the love of God. Their sacrifices and prayer enabled God's forgiveness and mercy to be experienced by many. But at other times, Israel got this role very wrong. Rather than seeking to serve others, they became selfish, greedy and arrogant. They stopped following God's plan, started oppressing the vulnerable around them, and God's blessings ceased to be passed on to anyone. However, God had made a promise, and he never breaks his promises. So God raised up a new descendant of Abraham who would fulfil the mission of Israel. He raised up someone who would deal with the curse caused by sin and enable God's blessing to be poured out to all. That person, of course, was his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how the Apostle Paul described the work of Jesus in Galatians 3. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith 
and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Can you see, Jesus was the fulfilment of what God started with Abraham 2,000 years before. Jesus got God's plan of blessing back on track. But still that was not the end. God wanted his blessing to reach all the nations on earth. So that would require more than just one person at one time. So through Jesus, God expanded his people. Now anyone who believed in him became part of his family and heirs to the promise of Abraham. The Apostle Paul writes at length about how the church, made up of Jews and Gentiles together, are now God's vehicle, empowered by his spirit to take his blessing to the world. God blessed us in sending Jesus, and now we are elected by him to the responsibility of sharing that blessing with those around us. We are part of God's mission to tackle the damage, division and death caused by human sin. Now, sadly, time prevents me from explaining how the church grew and how this blessing spread across the world. That is the story of the last 2000 years of human history. But before we finish this sermon with the practical implications of all this, I do want us to see how the story of blessing ends. God's call of Abraham came right at the beginning of the Bible. But the promise of blessing that he made is only fulfilled right at the end. Listen to these words from the very last chapter, Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now there's a lot of metaphorical language in there, but notice this. In the glorious kingdom of God, all the damage caused by human sin will be healed. In the glorious kingdom of God, all the division caused by human sin will be reunited. The nations are healed and brought together. In the glorious kingdom of God, death will have been defeated and we will reign with God forever and ever. And how does the writer of Revelation describe this? He says, no longer will there be any curse. The curse laid down upon human sin by God right at the beginning of the Bible is replaced by unlimited and eternal blessing. This is the great promise of God. This is the great mission of God, what he is working on right now. And this is what he calls us to as his people. He wants us to be people of blessing, people who receive his blessing for themselves and then do all that they can to pass that blessing on to others. So far in this sermon, we've looked at a lot of theory. 
But that's been important because we need to understand what we're about and how it fits in with what God is up to. But we must finish by getting really practical. I want us to leave the sermons of this series having a real idea of the practical difference we are to make to our lives starting the moment we leave this building. What does it mean then to be God's people of blessing? What are we to get up to? So far we have said that blessing is the opposite of curse. To live a life of blessing is to live a life that tackles damage and division and death in the world. But let's get more specific. When the Bible talks about blessing, it's thinking about something that is both material and spiritual. We actually discover what blessing is in the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and he blessed them so that they would increase in number. Then he created human beings and he blessed them as well, so again they would increase in number. From this we learn that blessing has to do with fruitfulness, abundance, fullness. Blessing is life-affirming and life-extending. So when we bless someone, we are improving the physical condition of their lives. We are making a material difference to their day-to-day existence. But there is another moment of blessing in the story of creation. God creates the Sabbath and he blesses that as well. The Sabbath was a day of rest where we're to be conscious of our relationship with God. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of peace. So in this regard, to bless someone is to make a spiritual difference to their lives, to lead them into relationship with God, to help them find peace amongst all the difficulty of the world. I know that I could speak to many people in our church, and as they testified to the experience of God's blessing, they would speak of both these elements. They would probably start with the spiritual, how coming to faith has given them hope and joy and peace, how they have an assurance for the forgiveness of their sins through Jesus. But I'm sure that many in this room would also speak of the material blessings they have received as well. Answered prayer, daily bread, healthy families, healing from sickness, provision of resources and talents. The two go hand in hand. As believers, we have been blessed by God in both material and spiritual terms. God has poured this blessing upon us through Christ and the work of his spirit. We don't deserve any of it. But what God has given us, he now wants us to use to bless those around us. This is the task he has elected and chosen us for. This is the task that, like with Abraham, he wants us to be obedient to. I would like us to leave church tonight with one question on our heart. How can I be a blessing to others this week? How can I bless my children? How can I bless my aging parents? How can I bless my neighbours? How can I bless my colleagues at work? How can I bless the poor on this island? How can I bless those further afield, people from all nations? For some of us, that will involve prayer. It will involve sharing our testimony. It will involve inviting someone to church. It will involve speaking directly of Jesus. Perhaps for many more of us, It will involve undeserved acts of kindness, 
going out of our way to help someone without expecting any reward. It will involve using our time and strength for the benefit of someone who needs assistance. And then slowly but surely, as we act to bless others, we will get to share the reasons as to why we do it. Because God wants to bless them. And one day, if they believe in him, blessing will be all they know. We're not to just do this as individuals. We are to do this as a church together. I read of a church this week that has begun a vaccine twinning program. We get our vaccines free on the NHS. But as each church member gets their vaccine, they denote, donate the amount it would have cost to charities working to help those affected by COVID in a developing world. That church is being a blessing. Here on Isla, we try to bless the people of Malawi by giving to the hospital there each year. We try to bless the community by running the minibus, keeping the lonely company at the drop-in and getting involved in the Isla Food Bank. But let's use our imagination. There are many other things we could do. I wonder if Isla Baptist Church suddenly disbanded, would our local community miss it? I don't know what the answer to that is. I would love to know what you think. But let's make sure they would. Let us strive to become known as people of blessing. For that is what God has elected us to do. That is how we'll make a difference. That is how his healing plan for creation will progress.